This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com for another episode of the Prospect Podcast. And today, myself... And the venerable Matthew Collar, my regular guest, are going to talk about the hottest quarterback name during the pre-draft process as we record this episode in, let's say, late February. And it's not Trevor Lawrence. It's not Justin Fields. Yeah, there's been a lot of buzz about Zach Wilson that maybe some teams have him over Trevor Lawrence. We are going to talk about Alabama quarterback Mac Jones. Matt just thought, and I totally agree with him, that he is worth dedicating an entire episode to because he is this quarterback and we'll certainly dive into everything about him, but he's this quarterback that seems like a throwback that the draft community and the NFL would not be as high on as I think a lot of people in draft Twitter and apparently some NFL executives are. So Matt, just to start off like general thoughts on not just Mac Jones, the player we can get into that later, but, are you buying what everything that we're seeing and hearing on Twitter about how many analysts and how many teams seem to really like this Alabama quarterback? That's always the toughest thing to figure out during draft season is who's mm-hmm. telling us the truth. I mean, you see reports yeah. that Justin Fields maybe can't read the whole field. I don't know. Can he? I mean, I see him reading the whole field personally when I watch him, but uh, maybe there's some teams that don't believe that, or maybe there are some teams that believe Zach Wilson is better than Trevor Lawrence, or maybe it's a team behind them who wants somebody to take Zach Wilson over Justin Fields so they could take Justin Fields the Smoke screens are everywhere, and so when we're looking through mock drafts and trying to figure out, all right, who's got Mac Jones where? Todd McShay's got him pretty high, and certain draft analysts are saying, yeah, he's absolutely a first-round pick. But I remember a lot of instances of quarterbacks that were said to be first-round picks that did not become first-round picks. I think the best example is probably Jimmy Clausen that was way up there. People thought he could be a top three or top five pick. He ends up going in the second round, and Poor Jimmy Clausen was on TV with the, so Jimmy Clausen, you dropped all the way to the second round. How do you feel? (laughs) That whole thing. Um, So you never do know. And uh, I expected Lamar Jackson to go higher once upon a time or Teddy Bridgewater to go higher once upon a time. Uh, Sometimes we just don't have a good feel for it. And that's where I'm at with Mac Jones. I really don't know because I think if you're trying to assess him just as fair as you possibly can, what is the skill set? How good could he be? What does he need to succeed? I don't think you say this is a first round pick quarterback, but also the desperation of teams that need quarterbacks. uh, There's going to be, you know, more um, teams that need quarterbacks than there are quarterbacks to fill all the spaces. So that always makes me think, you know, reaches on quarterbacks, Christian Ponder, EJ Manuel. We have seen this many, many times reaches on quarterbacks. So I got to say, Chris, that I am very much 
up in the air about where this could go. And maybe you can provide some clarity for me here, because if you told me he went in the middle of the second round, I'd say, okay, that makes sense. If you told me he went like ninth overall, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's certainly all of that I think was pinpoint accurate and it makes Mac Jones probably the most fascinating quarterback prospect in this class, if not one of the most compelling overall prospects, just because the range of what would be reasonable to someone like Matthew Collar, or even to me, is that large. And usually a quarterback, it's not that big of a range. Scouting players, and I wrote about this recently at CBS Sports, it's like when you're distilling what a cornerback is doing on the field, a running back, any position, I think it's – I'm not saying that it's easy to be a scout or to be evaluating an entire draft class, but when you are just literally watching one player throughout a, a game and then you're watching four, five, six, seven of his games, you can get a pretty good grasp on his traits, what he's good at. Is he as fast as his contemporaries? Is he a little slower? Is his vision good? And then I think it's not necessarily – uh, you know, we see things differently that you and I could watch the film of a cornerback and see the same things. We would just weigh things differently. You would maybe have ball skills higher than I would or whatever. And this is leading me to say that quarterback, it's still the hardest position to evaluate because anytime you watch a Mac Jones football game, he is throwing strikes to open receivers and they're scoring 50 points a game and they're in the SEC and they're playing and beating up on a really good Ohio State team in the national title or a Notre Dame team that was really good and has NFL caliber players on both sides of the ball. So that's like what's so difficult with Mac Jones. And what I wrote about recently was the fact that it's almost like the Oklahoma and the Alabama quarterbacks, I almost like give them a red flag uh, coming out of those offenses because, and that's kind of the low hanging fruit with Mac Jones, that there's so much talent, not only at receiver, but up front, Mac Jones was only pressured 13% of the time or 19% of the time, I'm sorry, uh, in 2020, which is a pretty low figure. The 13% was how many times he threw it from outside the pocket, which is also a pretty low number, and, and that kind of speaks to his lack of mobility. So with watching him, it, it's he's very difficult to evaluate because it's you're getting so much positive reinforcement watching him that you don't see the ball hit the ground very often. You don't see a lot of misses, so he's accurate and he was efficient running the offense. But looking at Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and Jalen Hurts and Tua, uh, that these quarterbacks in these insulated environments that had sky-high expectations, maybe outside of Jalen Hurts, that they've kind of fallen short of those expectations. They didn't become the next Russell Wilson or the next Drew Brees. That is just in and of itself, before you really dig into Mac Jones' traits, the reason why I, I'm not nearly as high on him as – a lot of other draft analysts. And like you, if he went in the second round, I think that would be very fitting based on what I've watched from him on film. And, and factoring all that is so difficult because you mm -hmm. think, well, you want to see guys put up crazy big stats, right? I mean, that was the yeah. Josh Allen debate. And even though Josh Allen had a very, very good year last year and is in a great situation now, it took several years for the traits to really show up for him. And I wouldn't be super shocked if there is regression with Josh Allen because he still is mm -hmm. having the same problems that everybody saw. It was just that this year everything clicked and came 
together for them. He's got the perfect offense, and he's got the number one wide receiver. He's got a couple other receivers to support him. He's got a really good offensive line, and then he can use some of his playmaking ability and kind of unlock the high end of Josh Allen, but the evaluation from college was still correct. He's still not very accurate. It's still, even though he throws at 100 miles an hour, it takes a while for that ball to actually get out of his hands, and sometimes he does things that make you go, what were you thinking there, guy? So a lot of times what we see is the evaluation of the skill set and of the tools ends up being the thing that you know really shines through, and then it's how does your circumstance cover up your weaknesses and how does it enhance your strengths? And that's where with Mac Jones, I think the question with him is, well, how can you recreate a circumstance like this? And the answer is you really can with Alabama. So what's got to shine through or what's got to be way better than it is. And I think, I mean, the biggest thing is when every single first read you have is wide open all the time with that offense, it's like how effectively are you going to uh, get to an offense where you have to go one, two, three, throw the ball. That's the thing that blows me away about Trevor Lawrence. It's one, two, three, throw the ball. I mean, he gets the ball out as fast as NFL quarterbacks, and you never see that with college guys. With Mac Jones, I don't see that. I see an offensive line that's blocking for him for a long time. I see receivers that have a long time to get open. And it's when you watch only the NFL, and then you flip and watch a college game like that, you go, why are these quarterbacks taking so long to throw the football? Because it just doesn't work as fast. So then the question Mm -hmm. is not only how can you recreate this for Mac Jones to have the same success, but also how can you figure out if his mind is going to work that fast? Because Josh Rosen, I'll tell you, man, I love Josh Rosen coming out. I thought, all right, don't tell me about a guy being too smart. Let me throw that right out the window. That's good. <laughs> but he had accuracy. He had big-time throws all over the place. It looked to me like his processing was good. And then he gets to the NFL. It's just way too fast for him. And that's the thing with Mac Jones. And, and if you're a great athlete, the game might work too fast for you. It probably did for Jalen Hurts this year. But he ran for 100 yards in a game. That's where early on – You better be a master of your offense if you're going to be someone like Mac Jones. You can't just be okay and then make up the rest like we saw Deshaun Watson early in his career and Jalen Hurts last year and we've seen from some other young athletic quarterbacks. Mac Jones is not going to have that. There's no margin of error for Mac Jones. It's got to hit. It's got to all hit or he's going to not work out. Yeah, I think that's hitting the nail on the head. And before I say my next point, I, I have to get this on the record. My colleague Ryan Wilson at CBS Sports lo- like loves Mac Jones. Like he's higher on him than I than anyone else. That's this is no disrespect to Ryan Wilson. He's a good dude. He is pretty plugged in with uh, I don't know how many executives, but I know he talks to people in the NFL, and, and I know a lot of times his mock drafts are. Um, especially this early in the process, like what he thinks teams are going to do. And I'm sure, you know, talking to scouts and to people high up in an organization that are ultimately making those draft decisions could aid someone in their scouting process. So, you know, hats off and all the respect to Ryan Wilson for liking Mac Jones as much as he is and having his convictions. Um, But me personally, I kind of feel like I'm almost like if I were to have liked Mac Jones that much, I would feel like I felt with Mason Rudolph in 2018 that I loved Mason Rudolph. We talked about this I think on one of the first podcasts that he was just getting the ball 
all over the field, one, two, three, getting through his progressions, was not pressured very much. It was that air raid system. I think Mike Gundy called it basketball on turf, that they were just like spreading out teams as as much as they could, taking a lot of deep shots. They had James Washington, Marcel Aitman, uh, Justice Hill was great out of the backfield. But Mason Rudolph was a very low-level athlete and did not have the strongest arm. I thought, hey, landing in Pittsburgh, that might be a good situation, but he goes in the third round, and when you're picked that late, it's hard to you know, have a team be built around you. Obviously, Ben Roethlisberger was there. So I, I kind of see similarities. You know, The size isn't the same as Mason Rudolph, but I think in terms of accuracy and arm strength, uh, the situation at the collegiate level I think are, is pretty similar. So th- that's kind of why uh, I'm with you that, that I don't see someone that should go super early. Before I let you continue, I want to read. So I have my Mac Jones scouting report written up. This I might tweak a few things here and there, but my grade for him, got to kind of add in some of the position addition and stuff. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be like early second round, maybe late first, just with the value of the quarterback spot. Here's what I have written for him, and bear with me. Crisp delivery, but NFL average at best arm. Uh, From a perfectly clean pocket, he can let it rip downfield. Where am I? Or get good spin on the ball at the intermediate level. But if anything is slightly off with his feet, the lack of a powerful arm is very apparent. He can move slightly, but won't be that improvisational. Overall accuracy is very good. He hasn't needed to get off his first read often at at Alabama. He has an embarrassment of riches at the skill positions and a sturdy offensive line. Occasionally gets too risky downfield or is a tick late when he does move to his second read. Has been very well coached about stepping up into the pocket, but not a total master moving inside the pocket. When pressure mounts, he can look very awkward trying to create with his legs, and he operates Alabama's uh, high-low offense very well, and he hit on an assortment of deep shots in his college career. So what do you think about that assessment? Is there something you think I missed? Is that how you feel as well? And where does that – I mean, I guess we kind of think that he's a second-rounder. Like, where do you think he ultimately will be selected uh, in a couple months. No, I, I mean, I think your uh, assessment of him is is right on. And I mean, I think that from a character perspective, that matters to me a lot. And it's hard to mm-hmm. pick up a million different things character wise, since we don't get to go into the combine rooms and interview these guys. But uh, just from what you pick up, leadership qualities, all that sort of thing, I think are probably pretty high with him. But the one thing that you said that really sticks out to me that I totally agree with is how often are you ever asked to move off your first read? And in the NFL, they try as hard as they can to create wide open first reads. That's always Mm -hmm. the goal. But how often does that happen? Maybe it happens six out of 10 times, but what are you doing with the other four? And maybe even by the time you get to your first or second read, there's already pressure on you because teams drop these blitzes and, and the defensive linemen are more talented than the offensive linemen everywhere in the NFL almost. I mean, what are the chances that he's going to have everything laid out to be able to operate an offense that way, which is what I wanted to ask you, which is, okay, well, give me a, give me a place where it might work. Cause I think I have one where if Mac Jones went here, I could see it. But if he goes to some other places, I can't see it. So I'm going to give you one that I can see, one that I can't see. Okay. Can, of course. 
The one that I could see it working is New Orleans because they've been dealing with a quarterback that does not have a whole lot of arm strength and does not have a whole lot of mobility, though sneaky great pocket presence for Drew Brees. Oh, yeah. Um, but incredibly accurate. He's got a lot of quick first-read throws, um, you know, just where he all he has to do is catch and make an accurate throw, and Drew Brees can operate it. That's not to say that it's been easy to be Drew Brees, the most accurate quarterback maybe ever, but it <laughs> highlights his abilities and playmakers, weapons. Michael Thomas is there. Alvin Kamara is there. Chicago is the place where I just think if he goes there, this is going to go real ugly because they don't have those playmakers. They have a coach who I think can get people open, but they don't have a great offensive line, and there's no way to fix it all in one offseason if he's got to start right away. That that would be a real uphill climb, I, I think, for Mac Jones. So the way I'm looking at it is kind of like, you know, in a way, like an Andy Dalton with Cincinnati. If you land in the right spot yep. and you're that guy and you have A.J. Green and a bunch of other playmakers, Mohamed Sanu and, and so forth, you might be able to be successful and win 10 games and be in the playoffs with a Mac Jones. But is the ceiling any higher than that? And if you go somewhere else, like Andy Dalton in Dallas, then all of a sudden it's it's not going to be that good. So um, give, give me yours for where it might work and where it wouldn't work. Yeah, I'll play devil's advocate on myself. That number nine overall, you mentioned that earlier, Denver Broncos, their offensive coordinator is Pat Shermer. He mm-hmm. is a West Coast offense guy. I, I personally did not think it was a good fit for Drew Locke because uh, Drew Locke, his best season at Missouri 2018, uh, he was in an air raid system. Josh Heupel, the former o- Oklahoma quarterback, was just letting him let it rip down the field, uh, and he was – or. I think it was 2017, actually, through 40 touchdowns. He was like a sophomore, and that really put him on the draft radar. And then after that, they were like, okay, let's have him check it down and throw a lot of drag routes. And I think that was part of the reason why he fell to the second round because that's just not Drew Locke's game. At number nine, with all this speed, and I think at first you could say, well, you don't want Mac Jones landing with a team that has a lot of speed because he can't really push it down the field, but – He obviously at Alabama had tons of speed at every position, uh, three, four wide receivers that could really get open down the field. He would have Jerry Judy there. uh, Obviously didn't throw to him a bunch, but did have or would have some familiarity with him. They're going to get Cortland Sutton back. They have Noah Fant, Albert Akui Boonham that ran really fast. Um, KJ Hamler, another speedster. So, that's the one spot I don't think the line is great, and I think things could get a little hairy because up front, I mean, Garrett Bowles did have um, kind of a bounce-back season this last year in his contract year, but the line is not fantastic. That could be problematic, but that is a spot. When you said number nine overall, I was like, that's the Broncos, and I kind of thought about it. That could work. Um, another team that I think could work, um, the Las Vegas Raiders, it seems like they're going to stick with Derek Carr, but their line's pretty good. It's a little older, uh, but Nelson Aguilar, obviously Henry Ruggs, the Alabama connection, Darren Waller, uh, Josh Jacobs, I think is a pretty capable wide, re- or wide receiver out of the backfield. So those two spots I don't think would be absolutely atrocious. I agree Chicago would not be a good fit. Um, New England does not make any sense to me. I mean, for a yep. team that we had two years ago, Tom Brady screaming on the sidelines, we need to be more explosive, and they have Jacoby Myers, and that's it. Nikhil Harry has been a bust of a first-round pick. He's not explosive. Uh, that I don't know if Mac Jones is going to want to throw him contested catches over the middle. Uh, Julian Edelman is probably going to be a cap casualty or could be. 
So that is a team that I think is way more rebuilding, and I don't think Mac Jones is a quarterback you want to throw into a rebuilding process. The line isn't bad in New England, but I don't think, and I think anyone would agree that Mac Jones is not a franchise savior immediately. Like that's why we're not hearing top five buzz um, that's legitimate, that maybe number nine overall is kind of his ceiling. So Broncos and Raiders I don't think would be bad. I agree with you on Chicago. I think New Orleans would be good. And the Patriots, I've seen in a lot of mock drafts and a lot of connection with Nick Saban to Bill Belichick. I, I would not see how that would have any chance of ultimately working out if Mac Jones went to the Patriots. I think the Broncos are one of the best situations for any quarterback to go. I mean, if you're yeah. Deshaun Watson, I think that they should be on your radar. Maybe they're not. Maybe you're mm-hmm. thinking, I want to play in South Beach or I want to play in New York, and those are the only markets that I want. But you should really take a close look at Denver because of everything you laid out. That situation is good. And I also think that the offensive coordinator being Pat Shermer, I covered him in Minnesota. I think that his system is funny because – I think it helps quarterbacks a lot. And Deshaun Watson has been playing in a system that pretty much says, hey, Deshaun, all you, buddy, just stand back there in the shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're going to run a bunch of times for two yards with David Johnson, put you in third and eight, and then you got to figure out the rest out of the shotgun. And you're going to get hit a lot. Right, but in this case, as we've seen all over the league, Shanahan offenses, play-action offenses work really well. And if you take someone who's already a playmaker, put him into that offense, I would love to see how it went. Um, you know, John Elway is the ultimate example of put a playmaker into a play-action type of offense and watch it explode. And, and Aaron Rodgers this year, too. That same sort of thing of let's take this great quarterback, let's simplify a lot of things on first and second down, let him be great on third down. I think Pat Shermer has a lot of the same philosophies, and it certainly worked in 2017 with Case Keenum. That, uh, I think, is a great situation for Watson, or if it's someone like Mac Jones, the only question that they're going to have to ask themselves if four quarterbacks are gone is, do we really want to spend the ninth overall pick on Mac Jones, or do we want to hold out and remain the best situation for someone else to go to, and and this might be resolved by the time we get to the draft. I mean, they might already have somebody yep. locked in a quarterback, but if they don't, that's going to be a really tough thing. Do we go with Drew Locke again when that doesn't look like it's going to work? Um, you know, are, are you going to waste a year there in Denver because you don't have that quarterback, or are you going to try to find the quarterback of the future? I think it's a it's a really difficult situation for them. What do you think of Pittsburgh for Mac Jones? Uh, I would not like that fit for them uh, or for Mac Jones because I think the offensive line is aging. Uh, they had Pouncey retire. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be as good of an offensive line as it's been over the last four or five years uh, for Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, the skill position talent isn't bad, and we know their draft history, second and third round wide receivers, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson. Uh, I don't think it would be terrible but I, it's it's funny that you bring it up that I said earlier that I think a lot of what he did in college, Mac Jones, is is similar in, in terms of the traits, too, to Mason Rudolph, who's been in the system for three years. I don't know if uh, it would be worth, like, hey, let's have these two pretty similar quarterbacks battle it out, and I don't even know if Mac Jones would necessarily beat out Mason Rudolph right now, and that's nothing about my evaluation of, of Rudolph. I certainly was wrong on it. But I think the the time in the system, he would probably have a leg up um, on Mason Rudolph if they are looking for that 
uh, heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger. It's just not as good of a situation as it was even like two or three years ago. Yeah, I agree with that. And they still haven't figured out how to get a running game uh, back. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to throw a young quarterback in there, you need that. I I think, though, that they're in a weird situation with Big Ben where Ben makes a statement about how, hey, it's not about money at this point. I just want to come back and play. Then you're like, oh, let's rework your contract. Well, I don't know. Uh, What do you mean? Let's rework the kid. So uh, that, that will be interesting to see if they are on the quarterback market, and they should be anyway. And that was the only other thing that ran through my mind with Mac Jones is I wonder what team could sit him for a year. Like, is there a team and I'll bring up one. They're kind of interesting here with another play action system be San Francisco where it would stun everybody because it's, well, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, but all this buzz about them potentially wanting to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Kyle Shanahan loves a quarterback that could just execute his offense. Who's the name that gets brought up all the time with Mac Jones? It's Kirk Cousins. Well, he could be Kirk Cousins if he reaches his ceiling. Well, who loves Kirk Cousins? Kyle Shanahan. And if you're looking for a guy that's just going to operate absolutely what you want to a T, maybe that guy is Mac Jones for San Francisco. They sit him for a year behind Jimmy Garoppolo. I am always, I don't know how you feel about this, always in favor of the sit the guy for a year. I, I mean, I just think that it's, really helpful to young quarterbacks to at least get a half a season or a full season of not playing before they go out there. And that's a situation where you could do it and then have a future franchise quarterback and afford all those talented players that San Francisco has, you know, kind of built themselves on and not have to tear down that roster. Yeah. I think when you're a quarterback like Mac Jones, that that doesn't have all these freaky physical tools, that is the best scenario or, if you're a quarterback that is entering a team that's just a complete tire fire offensive line receivers, then yes, I think sitting them for a half a season or a full season is the best. I think Patrick Mahomes, you know, they had a good team there in Kansas City. That was a perfect scenario for him as well. Um, probably needed to rein in a little bit, bit of his over um, aggressiveness coming out of Texas Tech. Um, so I, I think to a lot of your points, and I, I just want to go back to a few of them. If you're Kyle Shanahan, if you're any of these other teams, Are you willing to pick Mac Jones in the first round knowing that the ceiling is like Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins? And we know, and or 2017 Case Keenum, like all those quarterbacks have had good seasons and have looked like, you know, fringe, maybe at times top 10 quarterbacks, but there's that ceiling that none of them have really been able to get over. And even Jimmy Garoppolo playing in the Super Bowl, he was kind of holding that team back. The one thing I do... Uh, think makes a lot of sense with the 49ers connection is that maybe Kyle Shanahan's like, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo executes my offense well, but he can't stay healthy and he costs like $35 million a year. Like, let's just draft Jimmy Garoppolo 2.0, who's way cheaper on a cost-controlled contract for like four years or maybe five years, and he doesn't have any injury history. So that adds a little more intrigue. And I think we're talking about four, five, six teams that maybe would make sense to be in the Mac Jones sweepstakes. I want to bring up another thing that we can expand upon, another topic that we talked about earlier uh, in a previous podcast. Do you think that Mac Jones is accurate enough and cerebral enough to be this outlier in this trend that we have fallen into in the NFL that you need to be this super athletic guy. If you're not crazy accurate, that's fine, but get outside the pocket, make big plays, scramble, throw it 80 yards down the field. Are we too far ahead of ourselves with that and and that we're going to miss out 
on someone like Mac Jones that is pretty accurate? Or, or do you think that really the league has just this young wave at the quarterback spot is just going to lead teams to pick those type of quarterbacks and that those are the young quarterbacks that are going to succeed? You know, I think that there will be room for a guy like this. I just don't know if he's the guy like this. And, you know, it's interesting because I would have cited Jared Goff as if you hit the right situation, you don't need to be perfect. You just need to be good enough. Like there's a baseline you need to meet to have a great season on your rookie contract. It's just my question would be if you're drafting a guy like this, in your team, are you looking at it as, well, we need to bring this guy in for three years or four years and win with him while we can stack an unbelievable roster around him? Or are we saying, no, 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 it's a decade. It's 15 years. That's what we're looking for drafting this guy. And, you know, it's interesting because that stat was out there about how I can't remember the years. Maybe it's uh, quarterbacks from 2000, whatever, nine to 2016. Yeah. Yeah. That they're all yep. gone from their teams. Yeah. I think, but that's not, that doesn't mean they're all losers. I mean, it just means that what happens a lot to these quarterbacks, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, I think are great examples. Their teams are great. Then expectations and money get put on them and the teams fall apart because that's the NFL and it's the salary cap world and also the ages of players. And, you know, you got to hit on everybody's peak to go to the Super Bowl and all that. And then the expectations get unfairly set. And all of a sudden you go nine and seven. Your coach says, oh, sorry, I need a better quarterback now. And, you know, oh, he's underperforming. Yeah. It was an outlier year. It's like, well, that's that's kind of the world now of quarterbacking unless you're truly special, unless you are Patrick Mahomes. And even he is going to run into some new challenges when his contract starts to go up and they have to make some moves. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers we even saw. When their roster dipped and their coaching wasn't great at one point, all of a sudden things were pretty hard for Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, I think if if a team took the approach of this guy will be our quarterback for five years, and that is it. And there is under no circumstance we're signing him, but we are going to spend crazy money to fill up this roster around this dude. Then I think it's not a terrible move. And I don't think this, this type of player is over with, but I also think if you're drafting in the top 15, I mean, you got to look for somebody who can transcend that. Like that's the, you know, you're not playing for a six out of 10, you're playing for a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 quarterback. And so, you know, that's why I'll be very interested to see how teams approach this. Um, But he just has kind of a Jared Goff type of, um, you know, curve sort of ahead of him. If he even lands in the right situation where he has, you know, ideal opportunities. Yeah, I think Jared Goff is probably his absolute ceiling. I mean, their skill sets are pretty similar. I thought Jared Goff was a more uh, polished and more prolific passer just at to every level of the field. And at Cal, he wasn't throwing to, you know, a bunch of first-round picks at wide receiver, and his line wasn't great. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that that's probably the best you can get out of him. Um, and this could be a whole other podcast, and maybe it will be, but what you just said about – if a team behind the scenes kind of said, hey, we're going to draft Mac Jones, it's going to be earlier than most people would have expected, and to kind of go in this short-sighted mindset in the NFL that I think when you're the fan of a team that is picking relatively high and you know you needed a quarterback, you're excited about getting a 22-year-old guy, that you have such a long-term mentality. And and I certainly think that a GM and a head coach and an offensive coordinator, they have those same thoughts on draft night, but you're right that the reality of a GM 
and a head coach and an offensive coordinator and even a quarterback staying together, or even if the offensive coordinator leaves, all the rest of those three pieces staying together as one cohesive unit for more than four or five years, it's a pretty big rarity mm-hmm. in today's NFL. And I think what you just said, picking him and saying, you know what, he's our quarterback for years, let's spend a ton of money on receivers and O-line and tight ends, and let's see what we can get out of him. That's like a, a different type of uh, team-building process that we haven't seen. The teams, to me, rightfully – are swinging for the fences and hoping for a Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson that can elevate their team and can be a tremendous individual quarterback. But there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat and you could have this quarterback on a cheaper contract and do a lot of those other things financially. Uh, So that is probably the situation or the mindset a team would have to have if they pick Mac Jones, um, you know, relatively high. The one thing I will say about this though, is that with that idea the point that you brought up that once you go nine and seven with Mac Jones, I think it's a lot easier to kind of give up on him because of the lack of physical talent than, you know, even someone like Josh Allen that in his second season, uh, he took a step forward from his rookie year in 2018. He wasn't tremendous in 2019, but there were still some of those wow plays that I think it was easier for the Bills to say, yeah, he's our quarterback in 2019. Like if, if he was a six foot, 210 pound quarterback that had the exact same statistics as 2019 Josh Allen, but couldn't push the ball down the field, wasn't a scrambler. I think you would get something, a soundbite like we heard from Kyle Shanahan, where he was kind of wishy-washy on Jimmy Garoppolo. So mm-hmm. that's the problem is that I don't even think, three, four, five years you could even be sure about in today's NFL that you could have a great rookie season for Mac Jones with a great team around him, say the Saints, and then in year two, if you don't build on that or someone gets hurt, Michael Thomas goes down again, and then you see all the physical weaknesses kind of rear their ugly head, it would be a lot easier to say, hey, look, this guy's reached the ceiling, like there's no upside, and that's a big thing for me. Drafting a quarterback in the first round, you want to have that upside in year two, year three, year four. But maybe more teams realize that the league is a lot more short-sighted and there should be more short-term goals to win a Super Bowl than, hey, let's build this team for a decade and have our quarterback be here when he's 32. Like maybe that's what more teams will and should, you know, take that uh, ideology leading into the draft. Well, one thing that general managers want that maybe they will adapt their skill sets or their mindsets, I mean, uh, when it comes to is they want sort of like pelts on the wall. They want to be able to say, like, I drafted this guy and he was successful. I drafted this quarterback and he took us to the Super Bowl. So I have to resign him because if I sign him, that looks good. That means I hit a home run with my draft pick. And But, you know, as we get farther and farther into this world where quarterbacks are changing places all the time, maybe it loosens up the reins a little bit to say, well, you know what, we're always just looking to upgrade and not looking to, you know, say, hey, I hit a home run on this one. Um, instead of just only trading when you're sort of backed into a corner, but saying, you know what, we're actually going to trade Jared Goff after he went to the Super Bowl. It's bold now, but maybe as we continue to do this every offseason, it will not be considered as bold. The other thing, too, is you're always going to get something else for your draft pick, like your or for your quarterback that you drafted. Like if you draft him high, 
somebody will come in and give you a second round pick. Somebody will come in and give you a first round pick. The fact that the Eagles were even able to get what they got out of Carson Wentz yeah. after he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year, I think tells you if the guy throws a football halfway decent, someone <laughs> else will trade for him, which you should always yeah. keep in the back of your mind as you're, as you're drafting them is like, it might have further value. Let me ask you one more question on Mac Jones, because we've really thoroughly covered every element of Mac Jones, but I have a comp for you that I think you'll find kind of funny. But when we think of these guys, we often think ceiling and we don't think 50th percentile results. Like what is the average result if you simulate Mac Jones's life a thousand times? It's got to be weird to say that for, if you're <laughs> Mac Jones. Like why are you doing that to me? But um, I got one for you. Kelly Holcomb. I think the Ooh. 50th percentile on Mac Jones wow. is Kelly Holcomb. He's a guy that doesn't have top-notch physical skills maybe has some leadership capabilities, can be very accurate. If he's got some weapons, he can keep you in a game. He can win you some games, but he's not going to be a guy that is like a long-term answer. And people who play with him will probably like him. They'll probably think like, yeah, this guy gets the football where it's supposed to go. We like him. Kelly Holcomb. And Kelly Holcomb stayed around like the league for a long time. I, yeah. I don't think – I think Mac Jones I don't think Mac jo yeah, I don't think he's someone that's going to be out of the league in in two years. I think at 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 worst he is a average middle of the road backup, or probably will be a, a very solid backup at worst. Uh, I hadn't thought that far back with my you know any comps for him yet, and I haven't got there. But I think that's a good one because Kelly Holcomb couldn't really move. He was pretty accurate. He had a couple good seasons, like with Cleveland, brought him to the playoffs as kind of a, a bridge starter in Buffalo in the early to mid 2000s he had you know he looked uh competent uh for some stretches so I, I think that's probably a 50th percentile like not his floor not his ceiling like that's a good one had not thought of that for the average um one last thing that I want to ask you before we wrap I mean are, are you of the belief that Mac Jones is definitely going to go in the first round but before you answer I'm asking that because a lot of people are bringing up Andy Dalton. I think he's more accurate than Andy Dalton was coming out of TCU. We saw some of those just like wayward passes that were five feet over AJ Green's head. That's not really what Mac Jones does. But and Cincinnati never won a playoff game with that, you know, Andy Reid AJ or the Andy Dalton AJ Green tandem. But they picked AJ Green at number four overall in the 2011 draft, and then picked Andy Dalton in round two. That allowed them to get this premier weapon for their physically uh, limited quarterback. If like this might sound crazy, but I know Ryan Wilson has mocked Mac Jones to the Atlanta Falcons at number four overall. If, like, the Falcons wow. knew Mac Jones is going to be there in round two for us and they could pick, like, Jamar Chase to kind of be, like, the, the next guy after Julio Jones and for a few seasons have Julio, Calvin Ridley, and Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell to build that offensive line, whatever – and knew that Mac Jones was going to be there, I would be much more on board with him going that high. And that's just one team that I'm throwing out that, that's, you know, picking super early. But I don't think that Mac Jones is going to last until round two. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. But I think if you're Atlanta, maybe you roll the dice anyway. Unless you just, you really like, uh, or, or if, let's even say that Justin Fields or Zach Wilson is available. I am not sure they will be, but we'll see what happens with Miami. I mean, that's kind of the swing team here. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, if um, 
But if Justin Fields is available at four, they should just take him and apologize to no one, I think. But let's say they're kind of like, eh, I don't know, we'll see. We want a few more years out of Matt Ryan, uh, but we'd love to get his successor. You take Jamar Chase there, and then you wait and see. And if Mac Jones isn't there in the second round, then you go, that's okay. That's all, that's all right. Yeah. We can find another one another time and try to make this the best place for the next quarterback, just like what we're talking about with Denver. Um, but I do not think he will make it out of the first round. I think that there will be some team that says, hey, the winner, accurate, that's what we're, what we're looking for. And even though I don't necessarily blame anybody for that approach, I, I don't think it's probably – one that is going to land you an elite quarterback. Um, but I still think there are a lot of teams that say, hey, accuracy is number one for us, baby, yep. and they're going to take them. Or out of pure desperation. Yeah, maybe. One of those two. I'll finish with this. Like I just said that I don't think that Mac Jones will make it out of the first round, but then it instantly an alarm went off in my head. It's something that you brought up earlier. We're not even to free agency yet. Like yeah. there are, We've had some quarterback trades. There are going to be more quarterbacks changing teams like I'm thinking man there's the Saints there's the Steelers what's New England gonna do like there's so many teams that that was the rationale behind my thought of no way Mac Jones is gonna pass all these teams after the big three or big four at the quarterback spot get off the board but a lot of these quarterback spots are probably going to be eaten up via the trade market or the free agent market. Um, do I think that the Falcons should be, you know, waiting for Mac Jones there at whatever number 36 overall? Like probably not. But I think it's even for me, it's easy to do as a draft analyst to like have these concrete opinions in January and February and then free agency hits. And we're like, oh, yeah, the Saints don't need a quarterback. They signed Jameis Winston to an extension right. or they traded for Sam Darnold or whatever. So it will be a very fascinating quarterback to watch. And really, even talking about him, I think we should even dedicate an entire podcast to Trey Lance, the quarterback that I have just ahead of him in my rankings. He's another fascinating guy that I think should and probably will be off the board before Mac Jones. But that will wrap our Mac Jones dedication episode. For Matthew Collar, I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.